This podcast was recorded on June 29th, 2021. Views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of Double Line Capital or of its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. Double Line has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. everybody welcome to the sherman show i'm jeff sherman here with my co-host sam lau hey hey and today we have a very very special guest we have none other than tony robbins tony robbins he's an entrepreneur he's a best-selling author more importantly he's a philanthropist he's the nation's number one life and business strategist Uh, over the past four decades he has empowered more than 50 million people through business and personal development coaching programs and events so 50 million, that's about 49.99 million more than we have listeners here. So we're looking to expand our footprint, Tony. So welcome to the Sherman Show. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, many people know who you are. You have a lot of notoriety out there. And, you know, you do a lot for a lot of people. And so uh, I thought it'd be very helpful to bring you on to the show today to really kind of expand our audience out there and just show some of the aspects you bring to, uh, bring to people's lives. And so when I think about that, what I want to start is like, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, what people do in a regimen and so you'll make fun of that people give at 2 a.m. and work out for six hours and all these things. But what's a normal day for Tony? Right? Well, people ask that question a lot these days. It's funny. And, you know, I can, I'm happy to give you the structure of it, but it's kind of boring, I think. I think what's more important is how do you measure your days, you know? And for me, every day without exaggeration, without sounding um, exaggerated, hyperbole or cute, Every day of my life is about awe and gratitude. You know, so I have five kids and five grandkids. I have a brand new three-month-old as well, and I'm 61 years old. And to have the breadth of life that I've already had, the number of people I've been able to serve around the world and the, the experiences that I had, it's like every day I think you've got to be grateful. And so for me, gratitude is where it starts. I have a ritual that I do that brings me into that state so it's not just intellectual. But it's also every day is filled with passion. Like you're like, what is it that makes you feel alive? Excitement. Uh, love and strength. And for me, strength is that passion. It's creativity. It's decisiveness. It's doing something that's meaningful. It's every day moving the ball forward and improving something. I mean, that's what I'm made for. And so there are no typical days. Like even Father's Day is a good example because I thought about this when you asked the question. Um, You know, Father's Day, you would think it'd be a pretty clear day. And it was a pretty clear day. And then I get a phone call from a gentleman I worked with, uh, with uh, Washington Capitals who you know, help them. He scored the final goal and helped them turn things around. It's uh, Lars Eller. And he said, I got this friend on the Las Vegas team and he's right now in the middle of a championship series and he just doesn't have it. And will you please talk to him? He's got a game tonight. I'm like, okay. So I go over and I do my Zoom. And then, you know, then we end up watching him that night, which we weren't planning on doing, quite frankly. And, you know, sure enough, the thing we worked on right in overtime, you know, he found the opening, gave the assist, they won the game. So it's Kind of fun, but you know, one day I'm working, I have a hundred plus companies now. So I might be working on, you know, the AI that we're building here that's pretty extraordinary. And then I'm, you know, I'm doing a phone call with our group called CAS, which is a new alternative investment platform I'm part of now. I'm excited about. And then I'm talking to, you know, a group of people that run my education company. And then we're figuring out what to do because we've been doing so much to change the way we deliver what we do because of COVID. 
And so all these things, like there is no typical day, except if you want my structure, the boring part, uh, you know, I'm a night person. So I work all night long. I get up and the first thing I do is jump in freezing cold water. I've done that for about, I guess about 11 or 12 years. Uh, I'm not a masochist. I don't enjoy it. I don't, there's never a day I can't wait to get up and jump in 56 degree water. And when I'm my home in Sun Valley, I literally walk through the snow in the wintertime and go in the river, which is about 39, 41 degrees. And the reason I do it is there's a health benefit of like everything and all your blood flows, all of your lymph flows, but it's also a mental discipline because I don't negotiate with myself. I don't go, oh, let me see when I'm ready. I've trained my brain. When I say go, we go. And so that little discipline which is also great physical starts my day. And then I do this process called priming. And if any of your people want to know what I'm doing, rather than walk through it, they can go to uh, tonyrobbins.com forward slash priming. And it's a process I do that creates that gratitude. It sets up the day. It's just a 10 minute process. So there's no excuse not to do it because it's only 10 minutes. You don't have 10 minutes for your life, you don't have a life. And then I do my workouts. And then I, these days, <laughs> end up with a lot of Zooms, you know, for all these companies and meetings. And some, some, some people are showing up here and then I go spend time with my daughter. And, and so every day is filled to the brim, uh, but that's how I like it. That's how I love it. But again, I, I look at it as, are things moving forward? Have you improved something for someone? And you know, did you keep improving your body, your mind, your emotion, and your spirit? Did you spend great time with your family? Did you grow? And you know, was the day meaningful? And the emotions of awe and gratitude and you know, that sense of persistence and decisiveness are things that I look to create every single day. Well, you mentioned a, a lot of your companies um, and, and the various projects that you have going there. And, you know, when we were looking in, into your background on this, we realized that, you know, given that entrepreneurial mindset, you own over a hundred companies. I, I yeah. can't even imagine that. I mean, here we are working in a partnership, you know, one firm and, and trying to do that. So, what, what are some of the unique lessons you've learned and things that are very helpful when, you know, branching out and we have a lot of people that want to invest and want to do things. How do you do, how, what's your decision-making process and really what, what do you learn along the way of being an entrepreneur? Well, those are a lot of different questions, but I'll try and hit a few of them for you. First of all, uh, you know, it's not for everybody. I got to say that up front because you will be a very smart person, but it takes a certain psychology to be a great you know, entrepreneur, even a good entrepreneur. Most people who start a business get caught up and they become basically a, a manager of the process, right? They're not an owner. And as a result, you know, they work their tails off and most of them don't succeed. I'm sure you know the stats, right? 50% of businesses are gone in a year and it's so easy to start a business now. It doesn't take the same resources it used to. And yet you still have the same failure rates. You know, over a 10 year period of time, 96% of businesses fail. When four out of hundred make it. That doesn't mean they're Jeffrey Gunlock doing billions of dollars, right? That means they're like somebody who's able to survive. It doesn't mean they're even profitable. And so you think of how small that is. And it's hard for us to imagine that, you know, less than 5% of businesses do over a million dollars gross. Because, you know, most of us are dealing with here the Googles and, you know, the, the Apples and then some of our own experiences if we're lucky, you know, doing billions of dollars. That's not where most people are. So you got to really figure out what you are made for and you might need to team up with a group of people to get the job done. It's not to say you can't do it, but doing it on your own, nobody really builds a real successful business on their own. You can build something to a million dollars on your own. So what have I learned? Uh, I learned one, you've got to fall in love with your client, not your product or service. I have so many companies and I see this mistake over and over again. People develop a product or service and they're passionate about it because it's something they want. 
But what happens is the world changes so quick, as we all know, right? Products and services, the turnover. I mean, I remember I'm old enough to have a Sony Walkman, and that thing lasted 20 years with minor changes. I don't know if you guys can remember that shit. <laughs> but, but today, I mean, think about it today. I mean, a product changes, like, there's no way you're going to be knocked off. If it's an app, you'll be knocked off in a few months. If it's a physical product, you'll be knocked off in six months to a year. So you have to keep innovating. In order to innovate, though, you got to know who you're innovating for. So every company I either start or take over or make a purchase of or make an investment in, and of those 100 plus companies, I really directly manage about 14, I actively manage. The others I'm more just strategic, right? Um, there's no way you could do 100 all at once. But because of technology, I can do a lot and I can be very strategic. So every company, if I was gonna simplify it, the fundamental three things I do in any company when I first take it over, besides measure everything, because what measure changes, you know, you know what's going on, is I first wanna find out who is the ideal client for this company. Not who is their current customer, who's their ideal customer. Like who's the person who's gonna stay with them when a COVID comes? Who's the person who's gonna refer people? Who's gonna, who's gonna over deliver? Who's gonna be a raving fan, not a satisfied customer? Satisfied customers go away when somebody gives them something better. You know, raving fans stay. So who is made for them? And then the second thing I want to know is what is the irresistible offer? Because when you study the history of companies, I don't care if it's McDonald's or, or whether it's Good Humor ice cream or anything you want to look at, Lay's potatoes, they came up with an irresistible offer once they knew they were. Pizza Hut. You know, you, you look at Pizza Hut, excuse me, Domino's, what I'm thinking of. Pizza Hut was dominating. Domino's comes along and they're struggling. Pizza Hut comes to buy them. They're in such bad shape that, you know, founder Domino's just, he just won't give up. One day he's got, he's on the phone answering and people are pissed off because the pizzas aren't there. Now he knew his ideal client. It was college students because they were close. They ate a lot of pizza. He centralized himself there. It was really smart. But then his offer was not that special. And one guy was really angry. His pizza hasn't arrived. And he said, just cancel. He goes, listen, I'll send it to you. You'll get it within 30 minutes or less, or you don't pay for the pizza. The guy said, okay. And he thought about it for a while. And he made that the offer and it completely transformed the company. Who I learned this from, all the things I know, I didn't come up with. I'm not so smart that way. I'm just good at modeling. I know success leaves clues. If someone is great in business, extraordinary, not they've done okay, you can get lucky, but you're not going to be lucky for decades. And you're not going to be lucky across multiple companies in different industries. So I look at those people and I study them. So Mark Benioff is one of my dear friends. Peter Guber, you know, owns the Warriors. He's got 52 Academy Awards, owns the Dodgers. You know, somebody like, you know, Paul Tudor Jones. These are the people I get to learn from. And Tony Shea, who, God rest his soul, just passed away, created Zappos, didn't create it, he took it over. So here's a perfect example. Think of where you were in the year 2000. Like, remember 1999, the year 2000, you know, Y2K, we thought the world was going to end. There's always something going to end the world, right? People are freaking out about. Think about where you were. And if somebody came to you and said, hey, we got this new company we started. We're going to sell shoes to women online. I want you to invest. Most people say, are you insane? Why? Because, wait... <laughs> Women, what are you going to do? They gotta, you got to ship them to them. You got to pay the shipping. They got to try them on. What if they don't like them? They go, well, we, we give them a money back guarantee, but they still got to pay for the shipping. This thing was going nowhere. They're losing money like crazy. They got some investors and just sunk it all, going nowhere. And they bring Tony Shea in, who's a young man at that time, has done pretty well in some other companies. And he says, guys, you only need two things. I think there's three now. One, he said, you got to know who your ideal client is. And here's the good news. You've got them. It's women. Women in shoes. Men like shoes. Women's shoes make them happy. They can put on one shoe and they're one woman, put another shoe, they're another woman. So you have the ideal client, but you have a horrible offer. You need an irresistible offer. They said, well, what would that be? He said, well, no woman, there's too much friction, is gonna say, I'm gonna buy shoes, 
pay for them, pay for the shipping, try them on, pay the shipping back, and then eventually get my money back. He said, here's what you did. You say, buy as many shoes as you want, 20 pairs if you want. We'll ship them all to you, our cost. You try them on at home in the convenience of your home. And then if any don't fit or you don't like them for any reason, send them back. We'll pay the shipping back and refund the money. Now, if you're one of the investors in this company, you hear this is the offer, you go, that's what they all said. I go, we'll go bankrupt. He goes, you know what? You're already going bankrupt. You might as well try an irresistible offer, right? <laughs> and what they didn't know about women, and women, when I talk to women's groups, I'll ask them about this. It's like, how many women have ever bought shoes? They didn't really fit, but you thought they were so nice, they'll fit in the future, and you hung on to them. That was the secret. And the company was sold for $1.2 billion to Amazon seven years later, right? So, and Tony stayed till his death because he wasn't in it for the money. He was in it for the impact. So I believe you got to know who's your ideal client. You got to know more about them than anybody else. What do they want? What do they need? What do they desire? What are their wounds? What are their hurts? And fall in love with them, serving them. Then what's your irresistible offer? And then my third step is over-deliver. Do more than people expect. Those three pieces for me have been a fundamental that worked in any company I've taken over. So you, you mentioned this too with the smaller businesses and, uh, and you mentioned some larger corporations. And um, you know when you look at employment rates and just what drives the US economy, yeah. it is these small and medium enterprises. It is. Right? It is that is the backbone of America. And you know, people who come see you and follow your advice, you know, how do you, uh, you know, it, how do you motivate these entrepreneurs? You know, you talked about raging fans, right? What do you yeah. do? What, what does someone do when they're seeking to talk to you? Like you, you talked about on Father's Day, you know, uh, you know, chatting with someone to help. To, how, how do you help instill these principles to give them that irresistible offer? Well, I, I teach a series of programs all around the world. And now because of COVID, I even do them now virtually. So I did a program for 920,000 people for six days a few weeks ago, whereas my normal seminar would be a stadium with 10 to 15,000 people. But of course, they shut me down and said what I did was illegal right overnight. So you can only have 10 people. So I had a shift. So, um, but I do a program called Business Mastery. I do an advanced set of programs. And I put people basically in a business boot camp. And I'll have people in that room that are just starting their business. And I have people in the room that have a business that's doing a half a billion dollars. And you go, well, how the hell do you service both those people? Well, because the principles are the same. That's how I've gone from nothing to all these companies and you know, right now we're doing about 8 billion in sales combined in those groups. And then I have some financial companies with AUMs that are in the 20 billion range to give you an idea. So over time, I've learned these skills by being around the best. I'm a modeler and seeing what are they doing? Instead of saying how they're lucky or they have some advantage over me, it's like, I want to know what they do different, both in their psychology and in their experience of skills. So I always find that, and I teach all business owners, the only chokehold on your growth is you, the leader of the company, whoever's the leader, their psychology and their skills are the chokehold. If you advance psychology and skills, the business will advance. That's how it works. And so the bottom line is, I think 80% of it is psychology. 20% is the mechanics because the mechanics are not that complex. Now, don't get me wrong. When a COVID comes and you got to figure out how to pivot, that's not an easy thing. But Every successful business person has done this throughout history. During the depression, people did it. During recessions, people did it. During, you know, what happened back in 2008. So it's really about being nimble. And again, if you know who your ideal client is, what they need, what they want, and you've picked an ideal client that can make it even through winter with you, then all it comes to is how to meet their needs better. How do I meet them stronger? How do I over-deliver again? You come back to those basic fundamentals. But the answer to your question is I do immersion trainings. Five days and nights, 12 hours a day, 13 hours a day. We don't just talk. We integrate them. We do exercises. We drive them. And then 
I bring in, you know, great entrepreneurs like Mark Benioff, or I bring in somebody like the, you know, founder of Peloton, or I bring in, I'm going to bring in this young kid who, who's, you know, makes $2 million a year on YouTube, started with nothing just so he gets something that seems like a bridge to them. Some people, these people seem too hot. I'll bring in Sarah Blakely, right? Who started with absolutely nothing, right? And became the youngest female billionaire in history with Spanx. And so it starts to make it real when you meet real people and they share with you their real story. Because everybody just thinks like, for example, that Sarah went on Oprah and suddenly Spanx was everywhere. I mean, that's the biggest BS on the planet. If you hear her whole story, you go, holy shit, that's something I could do if I have that kind of passion and persistence and commitment and resiliency and creativity and flexibility, which any human can develop. I always tell people, the biggest mistake I hear in small businesses, they'll all say, oh, but I can't do it because, and they give me, I don't have the capital. I don't have the right people. I don't have the right technology. And I said, everything you're telling me is a resource that's missing. But resources are not the problem. A lack of resourcefulness is the problem. Because the ultimate resources are something everybody has, human emotion, creativity, passion, determination. If you're determined enough, you can find the answer. If you're creative enough, you'll come up with an answer. If you're committed enough, you'll find the money, right? So it's really learning to find those core emotions and psychology that is 80% of the journey. Then it's, okay, how do I do that blocking tackling? What's the strategy? What's the tactics? What's the approach to marketing, to managing my business, to the economics of my business? And I teach all those things. No, it's really interesting how you do that because from our position and and looking in financial markets, a lot of it is psychological, it's behavioral, it's managing one's emotions and, you know, applying that the the same skills you're talking about are definitely rooted in the world of finance. And I find that that people, when they ask about what's your day, what's your schedule, uh, a common thing is like, what's the first thing you read in the morning or who do you read? And, you know, you get those things and, and people want mimicry. But yeah. what I'm gathering from you and, and you know, what, what I thought I knew coming in was that you're trying to get back to the innate part. I, I equate it to sports. Like when I was mm-hmm. taught sports, it's like you go to practice, you learn the skill, learn the skill, game time, you react. You don't That's you nice. turn the brain off and react. And so, you know, when people people want to look at the success story and go, wow, I idolize that. But you know, in this country, we are entrepreneurs, we're this democracy where we really look up to people. And so you know, in some cases, you know, we've seen people want to penalize success. And so, you know, what do you think about that? Like, how do you deal with success yourself, right? Is success really a bad thing? Or is it something that, you know, you learn to deal with it, and you learn to innovate along the way? Well, it all depends how you define success, right? Some people's success, they think it's money or economics. Some people think it's the ability to do certain things. I think most people's definition of success is getting what they want, right? But then there's a thing called fulfillment which is much more powerful than success. Because how many people you know that have success? And you say, what's wrong with success? Nothing. I'll tell you what's wrong. is when you're successful and you're not fulfilled, right? That is, uh, if you want to know what failure is, that's failure. Achieving what you want and still being unhappy, right? Contributing to the world and still being miserable or frustrated, overwhelmed or stressed all day long. To me, that's the ultimate failure. And I know a lot about trading. I, you know, I wrote an entire book called Money Master the Game, and I interviewed everybody. You can imagine Warren Buffett, Ray Dalio, Carl Icahn, and many of these people came to your friends. And I've coached Paul Tudor Jones now for 23 years. So I know a little bit about that area, to say the least. And you bet your tail, every day is different. And it is psychology is what's going to guide you through it. Because the fundamental skills, when you're at that level, you know them. It's can you execute under pain? Can you execute when it's a difficult place? So when you come back to the fact that you even asked the question, is success good or bad, shows where we are in our culture. It's so absurd. 
And I think we're there because kids today, we have not, they're consumers. We have not taught them to be creators. We've not taught them to be makers. We've not taught them what free enterprise is. We've not taught them that life is calling to you to bring something to the table, not you to get something. It's not their fault. It's our fault. And so you hear these kids today. I saw a study the other day. I don't know how true it is saying that, you know, socialism is now more popular than capitalism. Well, it's very possible the way the media communicates things, but it's our fault because I'm not a capitalist. I didn't come from that, but I'll tell you what, I went to the Soviet Union. I was brought because of the firewalking stuff I was doing with a group of scientists. When I was 23 years old, it was still the Soviet Union. That's old I am. And I went from literally Moscow to Siberia and back over two and a half weeks. I experienced the whole culture. And I didn't know what capitalism was, but I became a capitalist because I thought, you know, there's this inequity in the world. And that inequity is by these people that have money because I grew up poor and you only have money for food. But, you know, what's interesting is I went there and I heard about equality and then I got to witness what equality was. Equality was the lowest common denominator for most. Like every place we stopped on this train it was a first class train. We're getting caviar. All these, you know, Russians that are there with me, they're having the time of their life because they're the upper end of the government. They have total wealth. Right. And then I stop every place and people are standing in line around the block to get a quarter of a thing of bread and a quart of milk. That's it standing in line all day for that stuff. I came back and became a capitalist. And because I was poor and I figured out how to not just consume goods, but how to add value to people, I developed a certain amount of financial freedom. And then I felt there's a responsibility. So when I was a kid, literally my life was changed by one moment. I was 11 years old. We had no money for food and it was Thanksgiving. It was my fourth father. My mom was saying things to him that you could never say and take back. My dad was screaming at her in ways that were insane. And this knock happens at the door, and I go to the door, and this tall guy standing there with groceries in his hands. And he goes, is your father here? And I said, just one moment. So I went to go get my dad, and I said, the door, the door. And long story short, he kind of fought me. I said, Dad, it's for you. He opens the door, sees this man, and gets angry. I was, like, thinking this is the greatest gift in the world. And he goes to slam the door in the guy's face. And the man's foot was there, so it bounced off his foot. And he said, sir, I'm just a delivery guy. Somebody says, told me you're having, a, they, they want me to deliver to you, you're having a tough time. Everybody has a tough time. They just want you taken care of. My father said, we don't take charity. He went to slam the door again. And this guy, time the guy's shoulder was here too. So it bounced off again. And the guy saw me. And I'll never forget this moment. Because what he said, I thought my dad would kill him. He looked over at me and he looked at my father. And he said, don't let your family suffer because of your ego. Veins in the side of my dad's face were popping, right? But he didn't hit him. He grabbed the groceries. He set him down. He slammed the door. And that day changed my life because my dad was angry. And shortly after that, he left our family. And I loved him so much. It was, I thought, the worst day of my life. But our lives are controlled not by our conditions, but by our decisions. And I only figured this out years later. But I realized there are three decisions everybody makes. You're making them right now as you're listening to me. So are your listeners or viewers. The first one is, what am I going to focus on? Now, we don't always make these decisions consciously. As a result, much of our decision-making is unconscious. But you know, as a trader, you better be conscious in your decision-making or you're in trouble. So your life is more valuable than the trade. So what is it you're focusing on? And my dad focused on he had not taken care of his family. How do I know that? He said it constantly as he muttered and bounced around. And the second decision we make is once we focus on something, what does it mean? And for him, it meant he was worthless. And then that produces emotion. And out of that emotion, we decide to take some form of action or not. His action was to leave our family. My decision, my focus was there's food. What a concept. <laughs> this is amazing. 
And then the meaning, though, is what changed my life. That's why I'm with you today. And I thank God for the meaning. My meaning was strangers care. And my dad had always told us no one cares. And when you believe that, you see it everywhere. Right? We all see whatever we believe. That's what we find. And so I started seeing strangers care. If strangers care about me and my family, I want to care about strangers. And so I promised myself someday I'd feed another family. So I was 17. I went and fed two families. It was so euphoric. Next year, I did four. Next year, 10. Then I had a little company. I got my employees involved. Then I got to a million people a year. And then eventually, four million people a year, two million through my foundation. I'd match it. And then I was doing Money Master the Game and interviewing all these billionaires. And you know, I'm watching them wipe out you know, most of what they did used to be called food stamps, called the SNAP program. And so they knocked it down by $6 billion in Congress, cut it, so that the average family that needs help would have to go out with food for one week out of every month unless guys like you and I step in. So I called my team and said, how many people have I fed in my lifetime? It was $42 million. I was like, holy shit, that's incredible. What if I fed 50 million people in a year? What if I, what if I fed 100 million people in a year? What if I fed a billion people in 10 years? And I got excited and I committed. I found Feeding America and I said, I want to partner with you. You'll be the distribution. And I got, that was six and a half years ago. And I fed almost 800 million people, 800 million meals. And we're going to feed a billion. We're going to hit it a year early. And it just, and you all of a sudden, now you find life is exciting at a different level. But our kids who are saying, is success good or bad, have never been anywhere else. They've never seen other country. Less than 10% of young people have a passport. Just think about that. It's insane. So when you don't know any better and all you hear is what's promoted to you. I mean, I was talking to a guy the other day, a YouTube guy, the guy I was mentioning, I'm going to interview because I thought some things he did was funny. So I called him up, but he did this question. He said, uh, he went, you know, man on the street and he asked people, what's the name of the American war between the North and South within America? What's the name of that war? 65% of people didn't know the answer of the civil war. So it's easy when people have no brain training, I don't know what our education system is doing, but it's defunct. And the idea that we're gonna continue this way can't. So we gotta shift. So is success great? Well, yeah, success is great, but fulfillment's even better. Success is getting what you want. Fulfillment is delivering what you're made for. And that's when life feels meaningful. Oh, that's great. And uh, for those out there too, if you wanna uh, help participate in that, feedingamerica.com, you can go on there and donate as well. So we appreciate that. If you go, we'll, we'll go feedingamerica.com, Tony Robbins, I match you. So you can double the impact if you want. All right. So we'll do that post-show, Tony. We'll help take care of some of that too. Thank it's you. It's admirable what you're doing there. But let, let, me, let me ask you the other side of that equation too, because you talked about perception, right? And, you know, a lot of it is, is how people perceive their situation and what's going on. And they can be successful. They're not being fulfilled. But how does one recognize when they are failing? And, you know, when, except when it's evident, right? But how do you recognize those steps and be able to pivot? You talked about the COVID situation, the likes too, but how, how does one recognize them and understand that changes need to be made versus the anecdote where you gave with your father who said, no, no, you're, you're insulting my integrity, my manhood, but instead actually recognize that. How, how does one come about that? Well, first of all, I just want to say that to remind your audience what they already know. There is no one who's successful who hasn't failed massively multiple times. That's the only way you do it, but they don't look at it as failure. They convert it into learning. When it's learning, you'll grow from it. Some of the greatest failures of anybody's life, certainly in my own, have given me insights that allowed me to succeed at a future level. I mean, that's just how life works. But I think, how do you discover it? You know, most people, it slaps you in the face. If you want to discover it quicker, 
you need to know what you're after, what your purpose is, not just what you want to accomplish, but why. And you got to constantly be measuring. Am I getting closer or further away? And if I'm further away, I got to shift. I got to adapt. You know, COVID, like for me, it's like, like I said, if you can imagine, I, I did this big, my wife put on a 60th birthday party for me. And, and it was the last event we had. And, and I appreciate it. We had, you know, 5,000 people. But I said, I don't want to party. And she said, I've got to put it. I said, well, but it's got to have a purpose. So we raised money. Uh, we raised, uh, what was it, $19 million. I put up five and four came from the audience to help kids that are under sexual slavery, to free kids. And so it was a really meaningful night. It was gorgeous. And three nights later, I get a phone call saying, are you going to cancel your event in San Francisco? We got 12,500 people. And we got another week. It'll probably be 14,000 people. Like, stadium's going to be full. Why would I cancel it? I mean, I had, I, I had um, mercury poisoning about two years ago. And it burned a hole in my esophagus while I was on stage in the middle of the night. They rushed me to the hospital and they put me in a wheelchair and said, okay, you're staying here at the hospital the next three days. I got a seminar to finish. And we had this battle and I ended up finishing the seminar in a wheelchair. That's how obsessive I am. I'm a, I, I deliver no matter what. So I'm not going to cancel some event, but then the governor of California did it for me, said no more than 10 people. Well, guess what? They just shut us down. And then it was all over the world. I'm like, okay, so what do you do? You adapt. We're going to Vegas. That's what I said. We're going to, they're never going to shut down Vegas. Right? Of course, <laughs> a week later, shut down Vegas. You kidding me? So then I was like, okay, we'll rent. They won't let you have more than 10 people in the movie theater. Okay. We'll rent, you know, about 1,200 movie theaters all around the country and let people go locally. I did this years ago, not that size, but we can do it. Then they shut down the movie theaters. I was like, okay, we'll rent a church. I got a friend in Houston with a mega church. We'll rent the church. They're not going to shut down the church and keep open Costco. But of course, we all know that's exactly what they did. So then my, you know, my friends were saying, well, maybe you should do a webinar. I'm like, I went and watched the guy do this webinar. And it was like, you have these two 52-inch screens. And I was like, I will cut my throat first. Because what I do is dynamic. There's energy. There's music. It's a stadium, right? And it's like, I said, here's what we're going to do. I said, we're going to go find a building with 40-foot high ceilings. We'll lease it or buy it. I want 20-foot high LED screens, the highest resolution in the world, 50 feet wide, 180 degrees around me. I said, we'll call the guys at Zoom and see how we can adapt Zoom so we can interact and bring people up in real time. They only do a thousand people, but Eric Yon turns out to be a fan of my work, so he expanded it. And here's, I wanna build software so that we can do these things hepatically and put something in their shoes. So I laid this whole thing out. Literally in an hour, I just went and stayed. And then I said, we gotta hire the people to do it. We brought in, I think it was six companies. And they said, we can do this. This is a big project, but it's nine months. I said, you got nine weeks. And I think that's part of being successful. You just don't accept limitation. And so I had to fire two of the companies, bring on another. And shit, we were, we were tweaking things at three in the morning the night before, but then we pulled it off. And the normal event in those days, at the end, 12, 15,000 people, 10,000 a small one. We had 25,000 people at the first event and then expanded. Then we did an 800,000 person event, then 920,000 for six days. So I would normally go on the road and go to say, um, you know, 16 to 18 countries, usually 115, 120 cities, mostly multi-day seminars, two, three, four-day seminars to see a quarter million people. This year, um, I'm home with my new daughter, which came about because I figured if I'm home and I got this new lifestyle, I can do this. And sure enough, I've seen 2.2 million people in events. So you have to take your worst day and make it your best day. And that requires a different focus, a different meaning, and a different set of actions. And that's the essence of it. Hey, Tony, uh, this, you know, hearing you talk, watching you talk, it's just, it's just full of energy, full of passion. And I'm trying to think of it, you know, from, from a different way, but uh, do you ever envision yourself slowing down? Like, what do you, does, you seem like the kind of guy that retirement scares you, the idea of it. So, you know, 
Do you ever it, think- doesn't, it doesn't scare me. It's just not in my DNA, right? It's like, why would I? You know, life is so meaningful. When we're just sitting around and play golf. I mean, I, I go play six holes of golf with my wife. We pick our favorite holes and, you know, or take some buddies and go. But 18 holes of golf for that many hours when I could be doing these other things. I mean, like right now, I, I did this with finance. Now I'm doing it with regenerative medicine. I tore my rotator cuff severely in a, a snowboarding accident following a 20-year-old pro, and I'm clearly neither of those two things. It was brutal. I mean, I've lived with pain. It was nine, nine pain, but it led me to, oh, all these guys going to do surgery on me. And I was like, what about stem cells? And they're, oh, that's all bullshit. So I found, you know, the guy that created the first breakthrough in stem cells, Dr. Bob Harari, he's the guy that did that study you read about, about with the old rats and gave them young rats blood and they got younger and vice versa. And he said, Tony, not in the States, but if you, you know, for a knee or, or a little something small, an elbow, but not for your shoulder. He said, you know, go down to Panama. Here's the place to go. Get four-day cord blood. I went down there. The one guy told me I had spinal stenosis and one more good hit, I'll be a quadriplegic, one of the doctors. And when I said, I'm going to do this, he goes, that's a waste of your time. That's insane. I said, well, why wouldn't I try it? If it doesn't work, I'd still do the surgery. I went down. Day one felt okay. Day two had a cytokine response, you know, shaking. But I wasn't scared. I understood what it was. I woke up the next day with no pain in my spine for the first time in 14 years and my shoulder is absolutely perfect and I've had no surgery. And you can see the MRI, it's mind boggling. So now I'm doing a book called Life Force. I was invited by the Pope. Believe it or not, the Pope believes in stem cells. He's had multiple family and friends who've had their lives changed. And since it's not fetal tissue, he sees it as a gift from God. He every two years now holds the most, the most amazing program with the best doctors from all the world. I heard all these miracles, things that were mind boggling. I said, I got to do a book. So last two years in the midst of everything else and in the midst of COVID, I'm interviewing the very best on earth with all this regenerative medicine. And there are things that will blow your mind. There's a single injection, for example, that you can get that is, if you have osteoarthritis and it's in phase three trials right now. So this is not 10 years in the future. This is a year away, probably. And if it works, it's worked so far. You know, phase one, you know, is safety. Phase two is efficacy. Phase three is efficacy at scale. And it regrows all your tendons. So you have no arthritis anymore. But if, if you're 50 years old, it regrows them like 16-year-old tendons because the DNA knows the initial symbols, the initial signals to build things. I mean, there's stuff that'll just blow your mind. And so I'm writing this whole book on regenerative medicine in the middle of all the other things I'm doing. So why the hell would I retire when there's so much to learn, grow, share, and, and have an impact with? So on, on that note, you know, we have a lot of people who ask us questions all the time about how to get into investing and, and you know, follow a regimen. As I said, there's a lot of times people ask, like, who do you read? What do you read? What's your, what's your routine every day? But yeah. when you think about giving advice to starting something that can be overwhelming, that has its own nomenclature and has its own verbiage, and, you know, we, we have this kind of special talk yeah. in finance, it seems so elusive. How does one break through? What do you, what do you help people do? To really get into that, what advice do you give to people who want to pursue, let's say, um, something in our field here in finance? I, I think the first thing you got to do is you got to decide you're going to master it and not dabble. People want to do things. I don't give a shit what you want. What I, I really care about is what's a must for you. The shoulds people do when it's easy. And then when it doesn't work, they, you know, pull, pull back, give it their best, you know, and they just shit all over themselves is what I call it, right? They don't actually do anything, right? But if it's a must for you, that's a different game. And if it's a must for you, you've got to put yourself in a place of total immersion. Because whether it's medicine or finance or being a lawyer, there is special language and you will feel like you're not so smart unless you enter that world and learn what that language means. It gives power to those people in those cultures. And so you need to enter that culture 100%. It's like, 
if, you know, if you want to learn a language, I always tell people, you know, what's the best way to learn? If you have the money and time, I drop you in the middle of Rome. If you want to learn Italian, pick you up 90 days later. And with no teacher, you're going to be speaking the language because we learn best by immersion. You can read about swimming or you can go swimming with a great swimmer. And the difference is night and day. So I believe in immersion. Like, how do I immerse myself? And the second part is I need a mentor. I need a coach. I need somebody who's going to give me a little bit of feedback. And when they're high-level players, they don't have much time. So I need to add value to them first. I need to figure out what I can do for them. What, what, I don't give a shit what it is. In the early days, I, I remember I went around this guy who's an entrepreneur, and I cleaned his offices. I did, middle of the night, he came by, but I read everything on his desk, which I shouldn't have done. I just like... <laughs> I just, I want to know everything he was doing. And then when I got those few minutes with him, I asked him, how'd you know about that? I was on your desk, you reading my stuff? I said, yeah, but it's because I want to become an entrepreneur. I'm not telling anybody anything. And he loved my drive, right? So he would coach me. But then it just keeps expanding the more you do that. So it's like, if I could immerse myself and not worry about how I'm doing, if I can get some good coaching, and then every day I need some daily practices to move the ball forward. What am I going to do every day? I'm like, how do I move? I got these hundred companies. How do we move all forward? I can't do an all hundred companies plus companies each day, but I can say these three today, those four tomorrow. This, this week, I'm going to do these 12. That's how I manage myself. But it's progress is everything. So, but if you get around the best, like, you know, I've coached Paul Tudor Jones for these decades, 20, I think 24 years now. I'd have to be an idiot not to have learned an unbelievable amount. And that made me prepared to sit down with Ray Dalio because like I've seen him night and day in every market, you can imagine every challenge and how to turn it around. I mean, so it gives you an insight, but you can't do, one of the greatest pieces of advice I ever got was from a multi-billionaire who's the richest man in Canada. And I was on this trip with this group of guys and he could tell that I thought I didn't belong on the trip because everybody else was 18, 20 years my senior. Most were billionaires. I wasn't in that category yet. And so sure enough, <laughs> he, he read me like a, like a book and he said, tell me something, Tony. He goes, everywhere we go, you piss me off. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, everybody stops you. Oh, you changed my life. Tony, Tony, where, you know, we went to China, we went to Taiwan, we went to all these places. And, you know, people even speak English. Oh, I love Tony. Tony, love Tony. He goes, you piss me off. You know, I had all these companies. No one's ever said you changed my life. And he messed with me. And then he took me deeper and he eventually said, tell me your goals. And I told him, he said, well, let me tell you the most important advice I ever got. Proximity is power. I said, what? He said, proximity is power. I said, I think I know what that means. But what do you mean exactly? He said, Tony, if you want to make a movie right now, you can make any movie you want. It's before I did Shallow How. I was already in like 30 movies. And he said, because you have so many clients that are actors and directors and producers and heads of studios. They all love you. It's a marketplace. They know you so well. You don't even try and you're in a movie. He said, but if you want to make a deal with IBM right now, I know you're a bright guy, but it'd be hard. It was not hard you know, for Bill Gates to make a deal with IBM. His parents were on the board. He had proximity. He said, so you could do it, but it's a lot of work. He said, you need to be in proximity of investment bankers to do this. And long story short, I started, you know, I said, but I don't even give them. He goes, they're going to want to meet you. Don't think that way. Because I want to always give, right? And so I'd schedule these meetings and it went on for months and months and then a year and nothing really came out. And then one day I got a deal that made me $30 million and I made a deal that made me $400 million in a day. So if you want to succeed, Get with the best on earth and you have to earn your way. You can't expect them to give you your time or energy. You got to do something for them. Something, even if you don't have a high level skill, start with whatever you can provide. And if you get in proximity, you're going to learn, but you're not going to learn outside the system. You're not going to, you're not going to get that that way. So that's what I've tried to do with everything. Get in proximity, immerse myself, 
get some good coaching or mentoring or direct it for myself, go get it in some way and make sure I got daily disciplines that keep me moving forward. Yeah, no, I mean, that's great too. And that's how I look back at my career and, you know, just the same thing. I mean, I, I uh, work with one of the best in the business and you sure do having, having that ability to be around someone and, and learn and just be a sponge at times. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we can also transcend that and give that back as well. Well, you have, because look, you, I know about you, right? You're one of the top 20 managers to watch. You're a quant yourself and you're looking at commodities, Sam, at a different level. You guys have been in your own right. But I, would it be fair to say you did not do this without total immersion, without a commitment to mastery, not just dabble, you know, with daily focus and measurement of yourself to make progress? Yeah, no, it's absolutely right. And that's why everything you say just resonates. And that's why people seek you out, you know, too. And so, um, you know, I don't want this just to be a Tony Robbins plug. But one last thing, I do <laughs> want to thank you for all your time today. I know you're a busy man. But I think more importantly, what I gleaned from all this, too, is all the philanthropic work you do. It's stuff that's meaningful to you. You touch a lot of people's lives. And so I know our listeners too are always thinking about ways to help as well. So maybe um, you could give us some insight on what those that want to help and help support some of your causes, where can they go to, to be able to do that? Well, I, I look at, um, I, I got to a point in my life and I, and I hope everyone does it. Some style has the option of outrunning your goals. And I got out of it because I was so committed. So I, I designed my life in these 10-year segments. This one to do my 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Now I'm 60. And I kind of outran. I was always ahead of what it was. So it's like, what do you do? And I was like, what really got me going started with Feed a Billion People. And then once I set that, you, know, you need something that's going to ignite you. That to me was the size and scope of impact. Even though I've helped hundreds of millions of people with their lives, which I'm most proud of. But that's a different game. And then it's like, once I did that, it's like, okay, so food, what else do people need? They need air. You know, I'm fortunate enough to have my own plane. So it's like, I want to be responsible. Well, it's 3,000 trees. I said, screw that. I'm going to plant 100 million trees. So I've done 73 million so far towards that goal. And it's, but I don't just plant them. I do it in Africa with a group that teaches these farmers how to create these forest gardens. And they go from $2 a day to $12 a day, which makes them wealthy in that community. And they don't try to leave they got a crop every month instead of one a year. So I try to do everything strategically. I try to do everything also where I leverage it, where I'll say, I'll do matching funds. So I get other people to bring something to the table. That's part of my strategy. I go, okay, you got air. What else? You need water. I go to India and every time I go, I see children dying of waterborne disease and made me crazy. So I partner with a group there and I provide a quarter million people a day with fresh water throughout India. My goal is to get to a million people. It's just getting the infrastructure in place to do that. Um, you know, freedom. You know, we have more people enslaved today than any time in human history. Not a larger percentage, but more people because the planet's so big. It's insane. And people don't want to talk about it because it's horrible. But I work with Free a Girl and several other organizations in there. I've donated more than $25 million to give you a sense. That's how committed I am to that process. So I'm looking at saying, what are the things that matter? But then I do things spontaneously. I ended up doing 100 people's eye surgeries that were blind. And I mean, it's so fulfilling, right? You know, or you, you find somebody, you know, provided... You know, I feel like there, there just aren't enough doctors right now, as you probably know, where you've got a glut of problems in that area. So, you know, I provided 100 scholarships and I partnered with somebody else to put up 100. So we got to 200. So everything I do, I try to do strategically. But I encourage people to think about what do you care about and what would be an audacious goal? Start small, but you can build. It's like the most successful people I know think of stuff that sounds impossible, but they chunk it down. And I didn't start with a billion meals or hundred million a year. I started with saying, okay, I'm gonna feed two families and then four and then eight. But when you do that, there's an energy that comes into you. I, 
I really believe life supports whatever supports more of life. You can call it God, you can call it the universe, you can call it whatever you want to call it. Something's beating your heart. Something gave you the gift of creation to be here. And whatever that is, I think when you're trying to serve something, you get a different level of insight. Serving yourself, you're part of the world, you're part of life, so you get certain insight. But you're trying to serve your family, you get a different level. Your community, humanity, I don't mean bullshit, you know, virtual signaling crap. I'm talking about what you do inside your own heart and soul when no one's looking. You know what that is, and that's all that matters. That's the only thing that matters to me. And what other people think of you is bullshit. You know, they can think whatever they want. Like there's a big difference between you know somebody's opinion of you and your true character. And your character is something you get to own. So I think people need to find what they love. But if they want to do something from feeding people, because right now with COVID, it's still a huge issue. Uh, feeding America is the best organization I know. And if you go to feedingamerica.com forward slash Tony or Tony Robbins, I think it is. I'll match you, so you'll double it. If you just go to Feeding America yourself, you're welcome to make that donation as well, but I'm happy to, to match you and make it bigger. But do what your heart says will excite you. And if you start with your kids also when they're young, like all my kids are contribution driven because when they're really young, oh, we got these balloons. My mom did this to me. She said, you want these great balloons or you want to take them across the street to the old folks' home? And I was like, I wasn't sure. <laughs> but when I gave the balloons to them and all these old ladies lit up like Christmas trees, it was like, wired me for life. That was when I was four or five years old. So I've done that with my own children. I encourage people to do it with your kids. It's a different world if we stop focusing on ourselves. The biggest problem in our culture right now is we've become so self-oriented. My group, my tribe, my thing, my that. And I think technology is part of that, right? We've been trained to get what we want instantly. And human beings don't work that way. But if you get out of yourself, you know, do you ever notice how angry people are that are so focused on themselves, what they're not getting? Because life's not about you. It's not about me. It's about we. That's great. That's great. I think we should end there. However, Tony, yes. we want to be cognizant of time, but every guest has to go through this because it's <laughs> Sam's favorite part of the show. So Sam, okay. I want Sam Tony happy at all costs. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Tony. Well, that favorite part of the show is called Sherman Says. So I'm going to offer a series of alternating prompts between you and Jeff Sherman, to which I hope to get a top of mind response. So okay, I'm going to start with Sherman and say, uh, let's see here, Summer Olympics. Um, the best. All right. And then we'll move over to Sherman next with uh, Delta variant. Uh, promising. I saw the, oh, not, not the variant, but I saw Moderna's uh, is built antibodies, the Moderna shot today. So there was some cutting stuff there. So it was worrisome, but looks like we're uh, uh, making good progress and you got to love science. All right. Back to you, Tony, with cancel culture. Bullshit, destructive, probably the worst thing that's happening in our culture right now and silly, uh, really silly. All right. To Sherman with success. Every day. Every day, uh, I like try that. to be successful, right? You know, one step at a time. That's what Tony, break into blocks. Uh, I love it. Love it. So. All right. Back to you, Tony, with failure. Um, never permanent. Really a chance to learn, a chance to grow, a chance to create something greater. I like it. Uh, Sherman, U.S. independence. This weekend. Let's celebrate. Let's be safe. Um, but remember people that died and fought for us and what that all means. And I think we're listening to Tony today. It's a great time to love one another and help one another out too. So let's all celebrate. Let's have a good time. 
And uh, let's remember what this country was founded on. Yeah. All right. And uh, for Tony, personal independence. Um, it's a choice. It's available to you in any moment. Any moment you can change your whole life by making a new decision. You don't like your weight, change it. You don't like your relationship, change it. Start by changing you. You don't like your economics, change it. Don't make an excuse. All right, it's a good one. And then the last one for each of you here, starting with Sherman at retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not on the horizon, you know. Um, again, if you find something you love to do, there's no reason to. And, uh, you know, seeing Tony and what he's accomplished it just motivates us, you know. Um, like I said, I have a good mentor seeing him grind every day. That's yeah, important. That's and so uh, do, do it until uh, it doesn't make you happy anymore. All right. And then the final one here for Tony, the meaning of life. Uh, whatever you make of it. But uh, if you put yourself in a state of awe and gratitude, you're going to find that meaning a lot quicker. And the other part is don't think you have one freaking purpose. I have all these people say, I don't know my purpose. Who said you had one? Who said it's the same for your whole life? You know, I used to have these really grandiose purposes, I, you know, 20 pages long, change the earth, make everybody happy. Now my purpose is really simple. How can I help? Right. And it's like, wherever it is, how can I help? And it's what gives me joy. It's about service. Yeah, no, that, that is a really important thing too. And you know, that, that's the best thing about any business is how can we help you? Yeah. Right. That, that is, yeah. The, that's the way that you're successful there. So Tony, once again, thank you for your time today. We really appreciate about it. I, I hope our listeners gleaned a lot there too. Uh, this is Tony Robbins. Don't forget, uh, you can go to his website, TonyRobbins.com. Uh, you can find him on Twitter as well. Uh, you can find The Sherman Show out there on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, Google Play, whatever it's called these days, Google Podcasts, I think it is. Um, and again, continue to evolve. Uh, this will be on YouTube, so you can see Tony uh, from his, uh, his nice couch today. Great therapeutic <laughs> session for me. So uh, I'll turn it around. I'm the one that could have used the couch today. So once again, Tony, thank you. Thanks to all our listeners and uh, tune in for our next episode coming soon. And once again, thank you, Mr. Robbins. Thank you so much. Please thank Jeffrey for me as well. Okay, we will. audio presentation represents Double Lane's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without express written permission of Double Line. Double Line has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from Double Line, please contact media at doubleline.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefor, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any double line entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any double line entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2021 Double Line Capital.